Aka Education Podcast, Episode 52. Season 2. On this episode of Aka Education, Justin speaks with Wisconsin educator Lee Stovall about his work incorporating audio production into his classroom. Lee talks about how his a cappella beginnings and high level of interest in recording helped springboard the development of a Pro Tools focused classroom for his high school students. Looking to incorporate recording in your classroom too? Lee has got you covered. Let's get ready. Aka Education starts now. It's the Aka Education Podcast. The Aka Education Podcast. How to Hey everybody, it's Justin Glodish with another exciting episode of the Aka Education Podcast here with episode 52. And this week I have a fantastic educator and acapella person. Um, I'm excited to talk to him about this um, this music technology program he's got going on in his school district with Pro Tools and just to really pick his brain about it and also give you educators out there the opportunity to learn about music technology and how you can you can incorporate it into your classroom, uh, especially after the past two years that we've all just experienced. So his name is Lee Stovall, and he actually uh, works in Wisconsin, works in the Milwaukee uh, School District, and I'm excited to have him here. Lee, welcome to the Aka Education Podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit, a little bit quick. Uh, you work in South Milwaukee High School. You have a couple of acapella groups there. You were in your own acapella group. You're actually in one now. And so you have this nice bridge between working with acapella, um, but, you know, working with your students to really um, give that love of choral music back. So l- just tell me a little bit about how you were able to get your groups started um, first off at uh, South in South Milwaukee. Yeah, so South Milwaukee, actually, I taught there before my current job, but I started two acapella groups there, uh, and that was pretty much for me just, like, wanting to do something that I really enjoyed in college, and I had a group of students come to me, actually. They they Googled me, and they're like, we know that you did this. We want to do this, and so then I started a first group, because the first people that approached me was a group of um, people identified as female, and then mm-hmm. after that, a couple, then actually that spring, I had a group of people who identified as male being like, we want to do this too. So then they, the two groups started there. And uh, that was really fun just kind of being a part of that from the beginning and having them build up into getting on like Best of High School Acapella and competing in ICCA and NAC and all of that. And that was definitely a great ride with those groups. And I definitely still mm-hmm. miss the students there. But yeah, that was, that was a fun way to get started in high school acapella. Awesome. And you're currently at Rufus King High School, um, but you also are an adjunct uh, professor at Alverno College uh, with an acapella ensemble there. Um, So with the acapella ensemble at Alverno College, um, is that essentially what you were doing with your high school groups, but just with older students? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, Alverno, nice. it's, it's a very interesting school. It's um, It's been around in Milwaukee area for a long time, but it's very small, and it's a women's only college. Uh, mm-hmm. And the only music major they have currently is music therapy. And so mm-hmm. most of my students there are music therapists. And so it's very interesting. So I have a lot of students that are non-traditional, that are kind of it's looking at it as a second career. Um, mm-hmm. I've had students older than me, which is like an interesting experience, but they're all really excited about it. They all give it their all, and it's really fun to work with them. 
That's cool. I, I love the idea of music therapy. It's something that I actually had thought about going into. A lot of actually, some of my um, the parents of some former students of mine, they are music therapists. Uh, you know, about an hour from where I'm I'm at now. But I found that like it seems to be a a profession that's slowly on the rise in terms yeah. of like how how um, our brains function with music and how we're able to use music as a therapeutic device um, for anybody really it's it's really cool that uh, they have interesting that it's just music therapy there but awesome that it's just music therapy there as well because they get that individualized attention um, that they would uh, that they would need I would say yeah now um, I will really want to get into this music tech. Um, this class that you have just because, uh, you know, like I said, I'm about to teach it. And I think a lot of us educators have really struggled with how to really navigate and float along for the past two years, I'd say. And I know that for some educators, um, we've actually turned to technology and how can we incorporate technology into our classrooms more, whether it's using, you know, iPads or, um, you know, cloud-based software like Soundtrap or whatnot. Um, so how did this class come about, especially with um, with Pro Tools? Because I believe Pro Tools actually helps sponsor uh, the class itself. So how did this come about? This was kind of a collaboration between me and the band teacher at my school. Mm -hmm. uh, we were kind of looking for new ways to kind of expand our programming. And one thing that's really exciting in Milwaukee Public Schools is that we really are kind of building programs back up. So for 15 years, they cut program after program after program until there were thousands, tens of thousands of students that didn't have a music teacher. And now we're actually hiring all those back because of a referendum and because of a new initiative. And this was one of the new programs we wanted to have, especially at the high school level. And kind of pairing with Pro Tools, it was exciting. There, there are a few high schools, but not many that are already kind of doing this program. We had to do an intensive training over the summer where we basically had to learn two years worth of Pro Tools education in two weeks. Mm. Oh, wow. We had, to, we had to pass the test to get certified ourselves. Uh, luckily, I got through that and definitely... This summer, I've spent a lot of time studying, and it's really exciting because we have the students coming in sophomore year to pass the first level, and then junior year, they'll pass the second level, and that leaves them open senior year to do an internship or to go to, like, a local tech school to take more classes there. That's really cool, and um, I believe... Uh, I read an article, and I'm actually going to post the article uh, link in our episode description. I was reading about how you um, actually have some students who kind of do this stuff on their own, anyways. You know, and uh, a lot of a lot of students have taken advantage of you know a lot of the apps that are out there, um, trying to create their own music. So, um, what's it been like collaborating? Not necessarily teaching your students, but collaborating with them and learning from them. Yeah, that's one of the most exciting things. I think that's something that scares a lot of teachers when they're doing this, is that they're afraid that, oh, no, I don't know much about this. But it's really exciting actually going from the collaborative perspective for this class because it was a limited enrollment because of the amount of technology we have. They have students had to actually apply to get into it. And uh, about half my applications, students sent in something that they've already produced. And it's amazing what they can even do just like on their phone and with an app there. And so having that kind of that built-in knowledge really is kind of fun to work with. And it's also the way 
students are listening to music and they're creating music is structured so differently than I think how many teachers are used to it. And mm -hmm. that's also something that's very intimidating. But I feel like if you connect the gaps, you connect those bridges, it can be really exciting to kind of see how far you can get in some concepts. Yeah, what I um what I'm curious to know too is um, you know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my undergraduate education, my graduate education really focused on Western notation, Western music, and all of that stuff. And um, I, I am finding with my own music technology class for middle schoolers, for eighth graders, that there are students in my class who haven't taken a music elective ever. You know, they were in their required general music class in elementary school. They didn't bother to take band or chorus or orchestra, you know, in middle school. But this class, the the idea and the concept of it really seemed to like strike them in such a way. Are you finding that you are getting students involved in this particular class or in this particular avenue that you may not have seen in your choir or you may not have seen in band? I definitely would say that. I think in the whole group, I have two students that have done choir and one student that's done orchestra and the rest haven't done any music at the high school level. I'd also say because of gaps in our previous music education in our district, a third of my students have never had any music class before. Mm. And so that's been really exciting. But it's interesting because like reading music is such a thing that we all think of one definition of that. But I think mm -hmm. I, I read like an article on Michael Giacchino, like the the movie composer, and he actually is better at reading piano roll than he is at traditional notation. And like wow. having those skills is something very different, and your brain kind of functions differently reading those types of notations than the normal standard Western notation. Hmm. I think what's cool too is that um, as much as we you know preach like notation, there are a lot of famous artists out there um, that don't know how to read music, you know? Um, in fact, I, I think one of the most impressive ones is, uh, you know, I saw it in the film, This Is It, the Michael Jackson uh, film where he was preparing what would have been his final um, performances um, out in London. And the way he that he just spoke to the orchestra, spoke to his band, like he doesn't read music, but he was like, I want, mm -mm, you know, he like would sing it in such a way. And then, the musicians themselves had that knowledge and know-how to be like, oh, okay. And then they would start playing and be like, no, not that. And he, that's how he would communicate. And I, I just, I find it impressive that some, someone at, at the top of their game, you know, couldn't necessarily read music. And um, I find that a, almost inspirational for the students who are in our classrooms. Uh, do you, are you finding that these, the students are more on um, the, the trial and error kind of uh things in terms of how they're recording um, with stuff or they, they feel really comfortable? Just, I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah. Oh, I just love that too. There's that leaked video or leaked audio of him doing beat it. And there's like, that, yeah, that, I just love that. And I think a good acapella example of that would be take six. Mm -hmm. They have those incredible layered harmonies that I couldn't even think about to write down and they just do it all by ear and it's just crazy. Uh, but I would say that for a lot of my students, they kind of, the ears are definitely there. And it's interesting, we did this assignment where they had to kind of remix our school's fight song in MIDI form. Oh, and nice. there were a couple like reharms in there and things like that, that like I wouldn't have thought of, but they actually turned out to be really cool and they actually really worked. And so it's, it's, it's interesting. So how we have a system that we use to kind of try to communicate with the written music, but in some ways it kind of hinders 
our ability to create things that we wouldn't have thought of. I was just yeah. like, I think a lot of the push in acapella arranging recently has been arranging by recording first rather than notation first. I think it's that same idea that if we're kind of boxed into what does it look like versus really isolating what does it sound like first, I feel like we can create more powerful things if we focus on the sound first. I love that you brought, actually, I love that you brought up a few things here. First, you brought up take six. And I I love that you brought that up because I actually, I interviewed Claude McKnight last last season and he said that the whole entire first album was done by rote and it like, I was floored. Like, the, and then he's like, yeah, and then we have to like figure out how to transcribe it because they just released, um, Hal Leonard just released a book of all of their arrangements from the first album. He's like, oh, we have to go back and like figure it out almost, you know, and write it down. And then, um, you know, the use of MIDI and with the fight song, that's a great assignment. And like for educators out there, that's, that's a nice little, you know, couple weeks assignments to really get the kids engaged and with school spirit, really get them to find the pride in their school. Um, it's just like, I, we're on the same wavelength. I'm loving this. We did that during homecoming week. So that was mm-hmm. like a fun time. And then now they also play it during the announcements, like as a lead into that. So that's kind of like a fun way to use it as well. That's cool. And it gives those students recognition for, for something that they most likely have taken pride on, you know, that's their thing that they did, you know? And, um, I, now I want to talk to you about what you had just kind of finished up with the, the difference between written arranging versus recorded arranging. Um, I'm curious, uh, if, you know, with any arranging that you do, how do you approach it? Um, is it like one way or the other? Are you strictly, you know, written first or, how do you approach it? I can do either. Mm-hmm. I started off written only. And mm-hmm. then maybe like six, seven years ago, I started playing with doing some by recording. And really often kind of time and audience is mostly kind of how I decide if I want to do it by recording or if I want to do it by written. If it's something that I really want to do that's kind of really out there and strange, I want to take a lot of risks, I'll probably do it by recording, especially if I have like the time for it. If it's something yeah. that like I know the group really well and I'm confident in what I can do and I know like I know how the group will sound singing it, then I feel comfortable just doing it written. So I'm right now kind of working both ways, depending on kind of who I'm working for and what I'm doing. But there are definitely some advantages and disadvantages to both. I think for me right now, it's tough because I'm teaching full time Mm -hmm. and also singing for on Sundays. Um, and then having to do Monday nights at Alverno, my voice just doesn't have the capacity to spend three or four hours on a night or a weekend just to hammer out an arrangement. So right mm-hmm. now it's, it's not really the best possibility or at least the most vocally healthy thing for me to do it by singing. But I really like it, especially when it's something like crazy and you can just like tune your voice into different things and create some crazy stuff. That's cool. I, again, same wavelength, man. Like, uh, for those that don't realize, I typically record these after eight o'clock because I have two young children making sure they go to bed, make sure, you know, my wife's all situated, you know, where everything she has to do. So I'm already spent from, you know, the five, six hour workday, plus all the extracurricular stuff, you know, coming home, making sure that the kids are, you know, not going crazy and, and then, you know, coming down and doing these interviews after eight o'clock, sometimes nine o'clock. And, uh, yeah. And then, but the days that I don't have interviews, I'm trying to do some arranging, you know, um, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'm, I can sing bass, you know, at night, which is nice, you know, but some of those high tenor things that I'm trying to hit and it's like, no, it ain't working for me, you know? So yeah, I, I found 
like I agree with you. I'm I'm slowly leaning towards the recording part of it. One of the things that I actually had done challenged myself this year was to try and do some like mini arrangements or arrangements um one week uh one a week for the entire year. And I've kind of <laughs> summer hit and I kind of was like, you know what? I need to get away from the computer for a while. And so I, I backed off, but I've been getting back into it and I'm finding that recording them is a lot easier than, you know, plug and play and finale or Sibelius or whatever. And what I like about recording it is that you give vocal inflection, you give meaning to the performance as opposed to looking at notes on a page. You know, typically notes on a page are your guide and it's what you do with them, right? And, uh, and so it, do you, I see you nodding. So I'm, I'm yeah, guessing I agree. You would agree. Yeah. So um, when it comes to your written arrangements, if you're doing written arrangements, um, do you do like the part tracks to kind of give them, uh, give, you know, your clients the idea of what you're aiming for? Yeah, I have done that before. And again, it also depends on time and my vocal ability. I always joke that like, I, I definitely cannot do any of like the treble arrangements or that type of thing. Um, I mean, I do it still, but whenever I like, I melodyne my voice up the octave, I sound like Miss Piggy, which is always <laughs> an adventure. I know, I know it that, yeah, I, same for me. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, now, going back to your, your tech class, um, you mentioned it's Pro Tools, but what are some of the, you know, some of the other, so if you're using other software, what are some of the, what's your setup in your classroom? Is it, a recording studio like do you have the the buildings of a recording studio because typically you know when people say hey we're recording um you know music or whatever like back in the day people would go back all right you got the booth you know you got all that stuff um and then you have the separate room where they're recording and they kind of like you know microphone in all right try it like this or whatever um is that basically your setup or are we just talk in typical high school classroom and <laughs> makeshift things here and there and uh my building was built in 1934 i believe so ah there we go <laughs> not, not any almost 100 years old so not really any recording studios in mind when it was created but i have kind of like my choral classroom and then i kind of have a a large it's like in between the size of a practice room and a classroom next door that we converted into the tech lab. So I'll normally give my main lesson in the classroom. I have like a microphone set up and some software set up and a projector. So I can kind of, we kind of build stuff as a class first. So whatever mm -hmm. concept. So today we're really working on, we're focusing on comping and just creating individual sampled sounds and making a beat out of that. So when we started the class, we kind of came in with full beats and mixed those together. And now it's like, we're going to try to create the entire thing ourselves from the small little minutia of samples. And so that's kind of tricky to do at first. So I, we kind of sampled and now we're going to compile those samples. We're going to do kind of a project together. And then I give the students a chance to work on it themselves in the tech lab. We're doing mostly kind of electronic music right now. So they're not really doing much recording. So that's kind of nice that they have that. So there are five stations for the 10 students. Um, all of them have two sets of uh, headphones and then they can kind of listen and work together in pairs as we go into that. Um, obviously down the road, it'd be nice to get like a vocal booth and get other things to work with. But I think for what we have right now, um, it works. And also all the stations are mobile. So if they did want to go out into a quiet space, they can move their whole space and record in different mm -hmm. areas and try to find that throughout the school. That's cool. Now, um, 
knowing that you were a part of Fundamentally Sound, which is a phenomenal collegiate acapella group, by the way, um, just listening to them over the years, um, you actually recorded albums with them. Were, was your situation the the studio or was it, you know, we're going into a dorm room and we got, you know, we're holding sheets or holding blankets over our heads? Because I see pictures of like a lot of the mobile recording units that some... Uh, some, you know, studios do, they, they travel with their mobile unit, but usually the students, they have, you know, the little vocal booths, but to try and dampen the sound more, they're literally like walking around like ghosts with, you know, (laughs) blankets over their heads. So I was just curious if like your experience with recording with Fundamentally Sound um, helped, is helping you with what you're doing right now. It definitely is. It's been a lot of fun. So kind of my recording background. So Fundamentally Sound, our first album was with uh, Vocal Motion Studios and Freddie Feldman. Mm-hmm. And then our second album, um, one of the guys in the group tracked it in his dad's basement. And that was kind of mm-hmm. the first time we had, we had all the sheets in a corner and then like we couldn't record at certain hours when his dad would be walking above us. And <laughs> that was kind of like an interesting thing. And then since then, uh, that was like the two albums when I was in the group kind of where we recorded. Uh, since mm-hmm. then, they've kind of found um, places to record and they've been more successful than when I was in the group. So that's been good. But a fun project um, in South Milwaukee, kind of my um, one of my last years there, we recorded an album. And that was interesting because we went in and we didn't notate anything before that. So we kind of did a all by rote and we kind of mm-hmm. built piece by piece as it happened. Uh, and that was kind of, for me, how I, the most I felt like as far as like an artistic producer on something, as far as tracking an album, but also arranging it as I was tracking. That's really cool. Cause like you get more of an organic experience. And I, I think that leads to like, to me, that leads to, that could be potentially the only time that that arrangement could potentially sound like that. You know, you're really like, it's improvisational, very organic arranging, which I like, love, by the way, that's so and I cool. Think, I think it'd be interesting if a group tried this experience, experiment, but did everything backwards. And so you would walk in and like the summer, you just record everything. I don't, JD might do this. JD Frizzell might do something like this. Cause I think I've heard him talk about something like this, but recording everything first, mm-hmm. not even like rehearsing anything, just like recording everything first. And then you actually have the mechanical license of the recording um, that you could get. And then you can do like the arrangement license through note flight. So everything would be above board for everything. And then you have like your set for the year. Students have already sung everything. They might need to relearn bits and pieces here and there, but then you can kind of build and rehearse from that spot. I think that'd be interesting. I know like it'd be hard for anybody to completely restructure everything they do, but I always thought like, what if we tried that or what if we just re-engineered something? That actually sounds really cool. Like I would, I would be down for that idea. That sounds so cool. And I love that you brought up Freddie because, and your, your friend's dad's basement, because that's literally how my group, the fault line recorded our album was we were in our lead singer's parents' basement and <laughs> Freddie actually, Freddie actually mixed that album for us. And, uh, it's, there's th- that connection there. And Freddie's a great dude. Uh, he's doing a lot, doing some different things these days, but, uh, you know, the technology with his, his thumper is, has been helping, helping really, uh, save lives in a sense, um, which I, which I love his Ted talk on. I love that you brought him up now. You, your Pro Tools class that you're working with, it's actually a tracked class. You had mentioned that your students, uh, sophomores, I believe, will take the first year of it. Juniors will take the second year of it. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, do they actually become certified Pro Tools, uh, whatever you want to call them, I guess, uh, technicians? Or? That's the goal. 
Yeah, certified Pro Tools. They get Pro Tools certification. Uh, they have to pass the test, which is the challenge. Um, and the test is 50 questions, 40 multiple choice. Or you have to get 40 out of the 50 in order to pass it. Uh, and then there's like the two level certification. First level wasn't bad. The second level, it's very like specific to like menus and Pro Tools. It's like which command is this, and like that's going to be the biggest challenge. Is I think my strategy is going to be having them use it so much that they like just have that ingrained. But that's definitely like just remembering all the buttons is a big part of that second test. Yeah, I would I would personally cheat. I've been finding those skins that you actually can put over your keyboard and it just kind of it shows you where they are. I know that you can't do that, but I think yeah. that would be kind of cool. Um, now, in terms of curriculum um, and with these projects that you're doing, uh, how how have you laid them out? Um, it you know the way you're talking about the current project that you're doing, you're working on it as a class. Each student has an individual piece to that project, and then building it off from there. But in terms of like some of the longer term things that you intend on doing, um, what's down the road for for your students in this class, and uh, how long would you typically? set up those projects? Uh, it really depends on the projects. I think right now I'm just wanting to teaching all like the technical skills and it's going to mm -hmm. build to the end of the first semester. I want them to do like one major piece, um, probably like a whole two minute clip is probably what I'm going to be shooting for. And I think just kind of trying to incorporate as many of those ideas as possible, learning again, copying, putting together the different pieces, uh, we're hopefully go into kind of recording and kind of different miking techniques as well, um, talk about mic distances. And then second semester kind of go more into audio recording and kind of what you're looking for in that, getting them really comfortable with that, hopefully when we have kind of more space and kind of more access throughout the building with that. Uh, that's mm -hmm. kind of the, in the first class, I think the first year is really going to be all studio based. Second year, I think it'll be fun to hopefully try to get into some live performances and that type of thing. I really mm -hmm. envision this class kind of participating anytime the school has a function, being the people that are running sound for that, or if there's a concert, yeah. being around and kind of um, miking things up and mixing it later, and also kind of running the live sound on the board there, I think it's going to be something really exciting to have these people that are really involved and wanting to look with, work with this technology. I think that's a great life skill for these students to learn because I mean, a lot of the times we, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, should students, and I'm probably going to get lambasted for this, but should students go to college after, you know, after high school, but then there's, there, there's the trades, you know, there's all these different trades that kids can do and um, teaching them how to run sound and at least, at least putting that thought there, like they can expand that knowledge go into college or, or they even be can like they can work at their local church running sound on the fly or doing like little local community theater productions. You know, this is, this is the job market that they're pretty much getting ready to train themselves for. So I love that we're getting students first off who may not have been fully interested in the type of music that we normally teach in our, in our schools. Um, but now they're, they're looking at real life application um, with something that they're enjoying to do. Mm -hmm. So I think I, I love, I love your approach and I love how you're, you're taking it. Um, now I know, again, I know it's just, it's a pro tools class, but is there the, the possibility of looking at say 
Ableton Live and some of these other programs that you would be using. And um, yeah, so just any other programs out there that could be incorporated into your curriculum that uh, might interest your students as well. Yeah, I actually just applied for and got like the basic Ableton Live license. So it's funny that you just said that. Uh, Yeah, I don't want to restrict it just to Pro Tools, um, especially because I think we can cover the Pro Tools curriculum and be able to kind of give a fully comprehensive thing. I think for me, another big focus is I really want to look at the compositional and music making aspect of it. The Pro Tools curriculum is very much 100% technical and very much this is what this button does, but it doesn't tell how that becomes music. And so one of the things I've really enjoyed is just trying to bridge the technical and the musical. And that's just for me as a person, that's that's where I lie. Like I'm very much like when math and music align those are like my favorite things like the weird songs that are based off of opposites of each other there's some like weird technical thing that they're all based off of like when the physical world and like your emotions can match that's like for me the most beautiful part of music that's cool and um you know talking about getting into the audio part of it audio recording audio production one of the things that i'm finding with my students um, constantly asking is sampling and the use of things that aren't necessarily theirs. And then it becomes a huge copyright discussion. So have you had that conversation with your students? And is that part of your curriculum talking about um, copyright and what is allowed and what is not allowed? Yes, that is going to be part of the curriculum. Um, I have a friend that is a lawyer that's already going to be speaking with Mm -hmm. us. And then actually, after reading the article, somebody who wrote a book about like making money from live streaming just like sent me the book. And then she just emailed me saying she's going to be in town and wants to come speak to her class so i'm like sure yes do that that's awesome Uh, so definitely i think that's important that's another reason why i'm trying to teach them kind of more than one way of building beats just so that they they have those options they don't have to rely on other people to make those beats for them but they can build things completely from scratch that's awesome i uh i'm not gonna lie i wish i was a student again to to take your class because uh, it sounds like a blast. It sounds like a lot of fun. And, you know, I I was telling uh, Lee this earlier uh, before I hit record is that um, I've heard a lot of great things about him from a lot of other people in the community. He's well-respected in the acapella community. He does a fantastic job with his students, you know, and he's busy, you know, teaching at a high school, teaching adjunct, singing in his own, you know, group that he's got going on and and still finding time to arrange and, and you know, do lesson plans and stuff like that. Lee's a superhero, everybody. And uh, he's, he's fantastic. Lee, uh, thank you. Thank you for doing everything that you do. I know I'm heaping praise on. It's okay. Um, but thank you so much for joining me this week on the Aka Education Podcast. Thank you. Can I put in one quick plug, I guess? Please do. Yes. So... I am kind of chair of the recruitment for our music teachers in Milwaukee. And for us, we're looking, we're hiring new positions all the time. So next year, we're probably going to be 
hiring 20 more new teachers. So the past years, we've hired 20 teachers. So if you are anybody that is looking to teach or you're looking for a new job or if you're out of college looking for a place to land, um, Milwaukee is a great place. There will be applications coming out either in December or January. We'd love to have you be part of this. This music tech program, if you're at the high school level, is offered. They also have a music tech program for the middle school level that's based off of Soundtrap. So if you're passionate about this, um, if you like urban education, we would love to have people. So early plug for that. Um, find me on Facebook, friend me, and I will get you the information once those um, positions are posted. That's awesome. I'm going to post all of Lee's information, a link to the article we talked about today. All the information is going to go into the episode description. So everyone would be able to check that out and uh, get a hold of them when they need to. So again, Lee, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Oc Education Podcast. Thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Absolutely. We'll be right back. I'm very thankful that I had the opportunity to talk to Lee Stovall this week. I'm actually looking to use some of his ideas in my own classroom with the audio production going on. And I hope you do the same. Be sure to check out the links in the episode description for resources from this week's episode. Follow the podcast on social media at Ed Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And follow me, Justin Glodish, at OfficialJGlow on TikTok and Twitter. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're found on Anchor, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. New episodes released every Monday. You can also now tune into the podcast on Acaville Radio, Acaville.org. If interested in supporting this podcast with a monthly donation, go over to anchor.fm slash podcast to do so. And if you ever have any questions about the podcast, suggestions on future guests, please email me at akaedpodcast at gmail.com or leave a voice message on the Anchor website. From the Aka Education Podcast, I'm Justin Glodish. We'll talk soon.